beloved congregation. We are in a service of preparation for the Lord's Supper. And at the Lord's Supper, we commemorate the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, it's fitting that we read read these few verses of what transpired on the cross as we are next week to receive the signs of his broken body and his poured out blood. And in this service of preparation for the Lord's Supper, we consider this text from Hebrews 12. It's a text which is very profound, very basic. It's about looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of faith. And so we see here in this setting of Hebrews that the epistle to the Hebrews was written by the Apostle Paul to encourage these Hebrew Christians. Who were these Hebrew Christians? They were Jews who had come to the true confession of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they had been led to conversion. And they had been led to embrace the Lord Jesus by faith. And because of that, they suffered persecution from their fellow Jewish people. They were ostracized. They were cast out of the temple. And for the Jews, that was a terrible thing for these Christian Jews. For the cultural and religious center of the Jews was the temple at Jerusalem. That was their center place. And now they were not allowed to be in the temple anymore. They were not allowed to visit synagogues anymore. And they were alone on their own, in a bare room. And there was for the rest nothing. No priest, no sacrifice, no beautiful high priestly garment, no trumpets, nothing. They were there together, edifying each other by God's grace from the Scriptures and lifting up prayers to the Lord and singing His praises from the sound. But for the rest, it seemed as if they had become losers, that they had lost so much. But in this epistle to the Hebrews, the apostle shows them that they have gained far more than the fellow Jews who are still in the temple. Because in this epistle to the Hebrews, we find beautifully portrayed to us the high priestly work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That He is above all. That He is the fulfillment of all the high priests. The fulfillment of what happened in the temple. And that now these Hebrew Christians have a true living high priest in heaven who has compassion with them, who lives always to intercede, to pray for them who come unto God through Him. And He can save to the uttermost. He knows them.
it seemed as if these Hebrew Christians had far less than the Jews. The Jews had the temple and all the beautiful ornaments and the, the rituals and the symbols. And, but the apostle says, that's nothing in comparison to the real thing. To use an example, you may have, have asked an architect to, to draw plans for a house and that the house was built. And before groundbreaking, you were continually looking at those plans. Maybe you and your wife were considering how you would arrange your new house, and you're looking at those blueprints. And when the house was being built, you were comparing the house to the blueprints. And now you're living in your new house. It's there. You can see it. And what have you done with the blueprints? Are you still every day looking at the blueprints? No. You folded them up and maybe stored them away somewhere in your basement. You never look at them anymore because the real thing is there, your house, and you're happy with it, grateful for it. Well, the whole temple service was nothing more than a blueprint of the heavenly sanctuary. And it's true, these Hebrew Christians, they could not see the Lord Jesus. They knew He was there. They may believe He was there, but they couldn't see Him. But in the temple, they couldn't see Him either. When He was behind the Holy Holies curtain, when He was on the Holy Day, the Day of Atonement, doing His work, they couldn't see Him either then. So really the fact that they could not see him does not form any impediment for the reality. And so these Hebrew Christians were being encouraged not to give up because they were in danger of giving up their confession, reverting back to Judaism and living according to the laws of Moses and so trying to gain salvation. The apostle says that's a dead-end street then you end up in outer darkness. Then you forsake the confession of the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore continue on and on. That's the task. That's the calling of a Christian. And that's the calling of these Christians here who are addressed in Hebrews. And therefore the apostle gives them two incentives. The first incentive to carry on is to look at all those who have gone before you, who also had their hardships, who also had their sufferings, but they persevered and they gained everlasting life. They're already there in glory. That's Hebrews 11, that well-known chapter. We call them the heroes of faith. That's one incentive. It is as if they are looking down upon us and encouraging us to carry on. Not that they can really see us. I don't believe there's a scriptural warrant to say those children of God who have passed on know what's happening on earth. I do not believe that. Scripture tells us nothing of that. But the apostle calls them as an, as an example, an incentive. And then the second incentive is to look to the Lord Jesus. 
to continually be focused upon Him. In the struggle of faith, be focused upon the Lord Jesus. In Him there is grace to receive faith. If you are struggling in this week of preparation and you wonder, am I His or not? I need faith. Look to the Lord Jesus. Lay your case before Him. Abide with His Word. For through His Word He will speak peace to your heart. And if you need grace, and we all need grace, when we know the Lord Jesus in our lives, grace to persevere, look unto the Lord Jesus. And in all circumstances of life, in the midst of struggles with the Lord Jesus, there's strength to carry on. He is a limitless source of every help and strength. Look unto the Lord Jesus. That means to flee to Him, to seek Him, to remember Him, to reflect upon Him. And especially we may think of His saving work on the cross. His saving work on the cross. Because it says there in our text, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. And that's what we want to emphasize in this service of preparation for the Lord's Supper. Why is it possible that the Lord's Supper will be administered here? Because of these words. Because the Lord Jesus endured the cross and He was despising the shame. Think for a moment of what happened on the cross. Think of the sufferings. How He suffered thirst. And when he cried out, I thirst, and they gave him vinegar to drink, that was not for his relief, but that was so that he could open his mouth and cry out with a loud voice, it is finished. Nothing on the cross was to give relief to the Lord Jesus. He he was completely devoted to the calling of his Father. But he endured the suffering, the pain, that his garments were ripped off him, the shame that he was nailed to the cross, naked. He had nothing left. He had to bear the curse of his people. He had to do this fully. When Isaac was to be slaughtered, by his father Abraham. At the last moment, Abraham did not have to plunge that knife into Isaac's neck. But at the last moment, when God laid his son upon the cross, the knife did go through the throat of his son. God the Father gave his son and slaughtered His Son, so that you and I could be saved. 
He, the Lord Jesus, had to bear the curse. He endured the cross. Throughout his life, he was pressed to give himself. It was his desire to give himself as a payment for sin. He was willing to bear the shame of being someone cast out of the holy city. We just sang Psalter 47. That's a depiction of Psalm 22. And there we read how the Lord Jesus prophesied in the Old Testament through David of what was going to happen to the Lord Jesus on the cross. That bulls of Bajan had surrounded him. In verse 13 of Psalm 22, they gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. Or I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. The Lord Jesus endured this on the cross in His spiritual sufferings until He had to cry out, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? He was alone in that dark night so that His people would never have to be alone. There were no angels to comfort Him. There was nobody to bear His curse because he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. He bore that curse. The sins of his people were laid upon him. And that's what you commemorate coming Lord's Day at the Lord's Supper. He in outer darkness so that you would never have to be there. That you would be in the light. He forsaken of God that you would never be forsaken because He took the misery and the guilt and the shame of His defiled bride. He took it all upon Himself, that unbearable load, but He bore it, the cross He bore to the very end. And then finally, on the cross, the Lord Jesus could cry out, It is finished! But then still He was hanging on that cross, although He yielded up His Spirit unto His Father. And then soldiers came and they wanted to make sure he was really dead. So they got a spear and pierced his side. And blood and water came out. What a shame that they abused his body even after death. And all this happened to him while he had done nothing wrong. He had healed the sick. He had given bread to eat. He had given eyesight to the blind. He had opened the ears of the deaf. And the people of Jerusalem had welcomed Him five days before this. And now they cried, Away with Him! Crucify Him! He was forsaken of friends, forsaken of His disciples. 
because he was the sacrifice that God had provided, and he had to tread the winepress of the wrath of God alone. Why was it, Lord Jesus, that thou wast willing to be spat upon, to be made a laughing stock? Why was it that thou wast willing to enter outer darkness? and to bear the punishment of God, how can we understand that the sun that was created by thee did not shine in those three hours of darkness in the middle of the day? Why was it that thou was willing to take away the sins of the world? We understand not this love. We see him dying, burdened with the sins of God's people. How can it be that thou, my God, wouldest die for me? Why was he willing to do that? Why? Well, because of love, that's true. Because of love. Because it was the calling his father had given him, that's true. Because in the council of peace in eternity he had already taken this task upon him and he was pressed to fulfill it. That's all true. That's why he did it. Because he loved his bride. That's true. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. But there's another reason why the Lord Jesus did this all. And that's what you find in our text. For the joy that was set before him. That's why he did it. That's why he went through it. Because he saw the joy in front of him. And that's why he waded through death, through hell, through blood. The joy set before him. What was then that joy? What gave the Lord Jesus joy? The text speaks about that he would be set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Well, surely that must have been a perspective for the Lord Jesus. That he would receive all power in heaven and upon earth. That he would be enthroned in glory on the right hand of God. This surely must have been an aspect of the joy that was set before Christ. But really, before he came into this world, he had this glory already from all eternity. Was this then the joy set before him that he would be seated at the right hand of God? There must be more. Something deeper. Maybe the joy could be that he will be delivered from pain and from shame. Like you and I can at times go through a certain procedure. It's painful and you wish it was all over and you look forward to relief. That in a few days I can come home again and you're looking forward to that and then the pain will subside and that's what you're looking forward to. It's understandable. We all would do that. Was that the joy set before the Lord Jesus that the pain would 
be taken away and the shame would be removed. Well, he was human. And of course he would He would also like to be delivered from pain and shame. This must have been part of the joy set before him. But really, he did not even have to lay down his life. He could have ordered legions of angels. He could have spoken one word. And his father would have intervened so that he would be delivered from pain and shame. Was that the joy? No, surely there must be more. Well, maybe it was that he knew he would arise on the third day. Oh, how he, the Lord Jesus, must have looked forward that he would arise from the grave and that he would reveal himself to Mary Magdalene and to Cleopas and his friends, his friend and to the apostles and to Peter and so on. But that was a part of the joy for sure. The Lord Jesus had prophesied at least four times to his disciples prior to his sufferings that he would be crucified, would be put to death, would be buried, but on the third day he would rise again. Yes, surely the Lord Jesus looked forward to that. But there's something more here. The setting is here in Hebrews of a race. And there's a prize at the end of the race. In those days, they would have those races, the Olympic Games and the Isthmus Games, and, and then the athletes would compete. And when they would be in the arena ready to run, they could see the prize hanging there at the end, at the finish. That was the joy set before them. And so they exerted themselves. They were willing to suffer, to run the race and to gain that prize. And so we may envision that the Lord Jesus also had this joy set before him. That he would arise in glory. That he would reveal himself to his disciples. How he longed to comfort them for he knew they were grieving. There would be joy for him. But still, there must be more here. What causes joy in the life of the Lord Jesus here on earth? We do read about that. In the Gospels we read several times that the Lord Jesus rejoiced in his heart and soul. In John 15 we read in verse 9 and following verses, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. So when people walk in God's commandments, 
stay in his love. The joy of the Lord Jesus remains in them. That means the Lord Jesus has joy when his people walk in his ways. That gives him joy. The joy the Lord Jesus that was set before him was not that he would be joyful on his own for his own relief or for his own glory or for his own ease of being delivered of great distress. No. What constitutes the joy the Lord Jesus had? It was that sinners would be saved. We read that very clearly in Luke ten twenty one. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. The Lord Jesus rejoiced when simple people found salvation. It's clearer even if you look at Luke 15, verse 10. I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. The angels rejoice when there's a sinner on earth who repents. But it doesn't say that in that text. It doesn't say that the angels rejoice. That's also true. In other texts it says that. But here it says... In the presence of the angels, there's joy. And who is in the presence of the angels? That is God Himself. God Himself has joy when a sinner is led to repentance, to salvation. And the joy of the Lord Jesus was that sinners would come to repentance And so the text says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. And that joy is not simply that he would be honored, that he would be delivered, but the joy is that sinners would receive salvation. That was his joy. It was not about himself but it was about you. You who turned your back upon the Lord Jesus. You who lived your own life and did not honor Him. You who were dead in trespasses and sins, but you found the Savior. Or rather, the Savior found you and He entered your life while you were lying in your death and misery. And that gives the Lord Jesus joy. And that was the joy set before him. His joy was that he could save you. You were his joy. That's the joy the Lord Jesus had. That's what he was looking forward to. That sinners would receive this precious and blessed salvation. Therefore he endured outer darkness. 
and despise the shame. You, with all your indwelling sin, with your unfaithfulness, in your drawing back from God, in your stubbornness and unwillingness, you, who have transgressed every commandment of the Lord, who had rebelled against God, and who deserved to be cast forever outside of God's presence in spite of all your unfaithfulness and unworthiness, and in spite that you are a defiled leper covered with ugly sores. He had compassion upon you. He entered your life. And He was the joy that the Lord Jesus had upon the cross before the joy endured the cross and despised the shame, then it didn't matter what happened to him as long as you could be saved. This was self-denying love. His joy was to receive a bride that although she was ugly and defiled, that he would pay for all her sins and he would be able to present her without defilements before God the Father. That was his joy. Before the joy that was set before him, you who know this Savior, he knew you while he was on the cross. He had his eyes set upon you because he's all-knowing. You were his joy. And in a week of preparation for the Lord's Supper, we consider our own defilement. And then we wonder, how can it be that this happened, that he had mercy upon a sinner like me. And then you reflect upon his sufferings, how he endured the cross and despised the shame. We find a reflection of this joy of Christ in the Apostle Paul, who once declared that the Christians at Philippi were his joy and crown. Philippians 4 verse 1. This, is, this was the joy of the Apostle Paul that sinners would be saved. This is what moved the Lord Jesus. And you know, when you know grace in your heart and you know this burning love to the Lord Jesus Christ, what gives to you the greatest joy? Is it not that you hear that sinners are saved? We hear a lot of bad news, but there's also good news. And that gives joy to God's children. It's a weak reflection of the joy the Lord Jesus had that he knew that sinners would be saved. Do you know this joy? That's a mark to examine your own heart. What gives you the greatest joy? What's your greatest delight? Is it to know Him and the power of His resurrection and to learn to live for Him?
that He would be the aim of your life. That's what constitutes a Christian. If you are living outside of the Lord Jesus, you don't have Him as your aim. You know things about Christ. And you will clearly say, Oh, I believe the Word of God. But you don't live in that faith. Because it's an outward faith. It's a mental agreement. And it's not enough. You need to know Him with your heart and soul. He needs to enter your heart and to fill your soul that your life is Christ. And then your death shall be gain. And He is willing to teach you these things. Seek and you shall find. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. That's how the Lord comes to us in His Word. And then we come back to the setting of the text. Because of this joy the Lord Jesus had, we are called to look to Him. In a week of preparation, don't go looking at yourself. Yes, there is a need for self-examination. But that's not being focused upon yourself. What do I feel? What do I think I feel? What do I think I experience? Do I have enough knowledge of my sin and of my guilt? Have I fulfilled certain conditions before I can call upon the name of the Lord? No. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. That's our calling. And the setting, I just said, is that of a race. And the idea is that we have a course to fulfill. And that course must be the narrow path. Where are you walking on? On a narrow path? Or are you still on the broad way? Or are you halfway in between? You think you can do that. We are to fulfill our course. That must be the narrow path. And there's a prize also for those who know this looking unto Jesus with all their weakness, with all their insufficient knowledge of sin, with their insufficient knowledge of Christ, with all their shortcomings. A person can get so tired and weary of looking at his own shortcomings. Look unto Him. 
in his light, you will see the light. He will give you knowledge of self according to his will. He will give you knowledge of Christ. And he will give you grace to surrender your life unto the Lord. That is faith. What is faith? It's not a feeling. It's not a mental agreement. Faith is the obedience of faith. Faith is surrender. Then you are no longer in control, but that He is in control. That you say, Lord, be Thou my King, my Prophet, my Priest, my all in all. And then He teaches you to run the race. And there's a prize at the end. Now in Greece, where there are those Olympic Games, will be one prize. But in this race, the Apostle explains here, there's a prize for everyone who finishes the course. And in that course... How must we behave? Well, it says here, we should lay aside every weight and every hindrance and every sin which easily hinders us. So in a week of preparation for the Lord's Supper, self-examination, are there hindering factors in your life? Matters which may be perfectly legitimate, but are taking too much of your time, too much of your attention. And the personal communion with the Lord is fading. That may not be. Lay aside every hindrance, every weight, every sin. And we also have to run the race with patience. God's children. You are to finish the course, to do that with endurance, with patience. In the midst of adversaries and disappointments, the Lord Jesus had his course to run, and he ran it. And in his strength, you can continue and finish your course. At times, you may feel exhausted. At times, you may feel that you've lost a battle. At times, you may be disappointed. At times it can even cost you something. In some countries it can cost people their lives. Could happen here too. But there's strength in the Lord Jesus. That's why looking to Him, He is the secret strength so that you would persevere and be faithful to Him. It's not about doing big things. It's not about being important and achieving a lot. That people know your name. That's not the issue. The issue is that you, in your life, are faithful. Faithful. The U.S. Marines have as their watchword, Semper Fidelis. That means always faithful. And so those marines, they stormed the beaches, knew and knowing some of them would be killed, but they went on and on and on. They were faithful. 
For what? For an earthly kingdom. God's children are called to be semper fidelis, always faithful. But how can I be faithful not in your own strength, but by looking to Him, always faithful. He will give strength. He will lift you up. Underneath are the everlasting arms. And you do it for a heavenly kingdom. If those boys did it for an earthly kingdom, how much more should we do it for a heavenly kingdom? And you know in the army of the Lord, there are no casualties. They will all be there on the day. That's what the Lord Jesus will take care of. Now you may feel weak. Well, all God's children lack strength to persevere. But the secret is again looking to this Jesus who endured the cross and despised the shame. We are bombarded today with messages telling us that a life without Christ is very attractive. And how can you resist these temptations? Again, looking unto Jesus. Do you know that book of Isaac Ambrose, Looking Unto Jesus, the 17th century Puritan? If you don't have the book, I can recommend it to you. In Holland, they used to read it to, in, to pieces, that book. Many editions. It's available still in English. A very good book. Not a book that you continually read through, but you read portions of it. Do it consecutively. It may take you a year, but then you will be continually be led by this blessed Puritan Isaac Ambrose to look unto Jesus. Do you need love? Do you need faith? Do you need strength? Look to Him. Fall down before Him. Because He longed for such people to belong to His bride forever. That was His joy. Amen. Shall we pray? O blessed Lord Jesus, we thank Thee that Thou hast endured the cross and despised the shame, and that Thou hast done it for the joy that was set before Thee, and that joy that was constituted by Thy people. Lord, we thank Thee for such love Oh, teach us to look unto Thee. And we thank Thee that there is limitless grace in Thee for each and every one of us in all our circumstances. Yes, Lord, Thou art altogether lovely. May we see that also next week at the, prayer, at the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Will Thou bless the congregation. We thank Thee we could be here together. Go with us further. 
in this week. Keep us all. For Jesus' sake, amen.